T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you till noon to uh, noon this afternoon or just till noon. I don't think it goes till noon this afternoon. Noon, that minute is its own time. And then at 12.01, you are in the afternoon. Like that little time breakdown, a little education here on Hardline to kick things off. Uh, sorry, I know we were away last week. Um, I apologize for sitting out. And guess what? With Labor Day being next week, we'll be out again next weekend. Um, but I promise you a um, informative, entertaining hour and 50 minutes since it's already 10:10. And what a week it has been. I- I'm telling you, we have had news weeks on top of Newsweeks, on top of Newsweeks, and this one was no different. We will get into school mandates. We will get into Governor Kathy Hochul, her pick for lieutenant governor. We will also, at the end of the show, be looking on a national level with um, Nick Rathode, the uh, former Obama staffer, will be joining us at 1130. And we also are going to see what happened Friday with Mayor Brown's attempts to get on the ballot here in Buffalo. But first, it has been a uh, another uh, big news week for New York State. And to break it all down, we have State Senator Ed Rath joining us this morning. State Senator, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Now, Ed, first, the uh, the obvious question with everything going on, uh, what do you think of Governor Kathy Hochul's first few days in office? Well, first of all, it's exciting uh, to have a governor from Western New York. Uh, it has been uh, over 100 years since we've had uh, someone representing Western New York in the executive mansion, and she certainly understands our region's issues, needs, and priorities. So there's no learning curve there. And I think one of the things that's most encouraging, and I had worked with Kathy when she was a county clerk and I was a county legislator, as well as at the state level, is she's going to change the tone and the tenor of state government. And that was in a massive need of an overhaul due to the toxic culture that we had uh, with previous Governor Cuomo. And she's also willing to work more inclusively. And uh, I've seen that firsthand with her collaborative and inclusive approach to governing. Uh, I think that's the way in which you can successfully advocate and represent everyone's interests across our great state. So I'm looking forward to working with her. I'm optimistic. And again, there's nothing we need to train or teach Kathy Hochul about Western New York. She gets it all right now. 
Um, do you uh, what do you think of her pick for Lieutenant Governor um, Brian Benjamin? He is in state Senate right now. He'll take over as Lieutenant Governor after Labor Day. You know, it's no surprise uh, that she did pick Senator Benjamin, uh, being that he's from downstate from the New York City area, specifically in Harlem. And I've known Senator Benjamin this year, uh, having served with him. And in fact, he chairs the committee that I work on, uh, the Budget and Revenue Committee, and works as uh, the temporary president of the Senate quite often. He's a bright individual. He's very capable. Uh, He certainly has a focus for his district in Harlem as well as New York City. Uh, I think that it would have been, for me, a little bit more balanced if she would have picked someone that doesn't have as much of a narrow focus on New York City. But he is kind, he's articulate, and he's focused. And this week, you had mentioned earlier uh, the start for Governor Hochul. You know, I was a little disappointed in some of the things that she came out very early and started advocating for. First was, uh, she said a high priority of hers was the payment to undocumented residents to the tune of $2.1 billion that was set aside in the budget. I don't think that's the highest and the best use of the taxpayers' dollars in New York State. Half of the tax increase that we had in this year's budget is now paying for those payments to undocumented residents, and I don't think that's a necessary or an appropriate use of taxpayer dollars. And secondly, she said she was going to prioritize gerrymandering when it came to the redistricting process. She was quoted in the Wall Street Journal just a couple days ago saying she wanted to gerrymander New York State for the interests of her political party. That's not the right perspective. That's not what we're trying to do in New York State when it comes to redistricting. We should have a balanced and an independent and a nonpartisan process. Um, Senator Rath, we also this week, uh, Kathy Hochul put out a mask mandate for all schools on the same week that the New York Magazine uh, published a study or report on a study um, that shows that masks, the benefit of masks, are not scientifically evident. Uh, What are your thoughts on the statewide mask mandate? Yes, I am a big proponent of local control when it comes to masks. I believe that the one-size-fits-all approach, which we see all too often from Albany, uh, is inappropriate when it comes to school masking. There are different opinions and different perspectives on this issue. There's no question about it. But if you look at an urban, a suburban, or a rural district, the needs and the concerns and, quite honestly, the local spread and metrics are very different if you're in an agricultural or a rural area versus the city of Buffalo or Manhattan. So I believe we absolutely need to have this uh, process and policies carried out at the local level. Our school districts know what's best and know what's right for their children along with their school boards. So I do not like the one-size-fits-all because I do agree that kids need to be in the classrooms, but a classroom that is consistent with a local formula for masks and social distancing, not an Albany-based formula. Are you concerned that with the um, focus on case numbers that students in Western New York could end up back in front of a computer screen before this school year is over? I certainly hope not, Joe. Um, You know, we uh, last year uh, survived uh, with our kids before computer screens, uh, my children included, and they need to be back in the classrooms. And I also think that the classroom formula, which I had referenced earlier, is going to be different if you are uh, in an, or a rural area versus an urban or suburban area. Leave it to local control, because in many, many ways, Joe, government that governs best governs at the local level, because they can take the uh, proper measures to ensure the health, the safety, and the wellness of their students, 
as well as the overall community. So let's expand local control. Let's be respectful of the fact that they know what's best. I'm very suspicious of this one-size-fits-all approach from Albany because government should not be forcing our local school districts into decision-making. They should handle that themselves. Speaking of COVID-19, you can't mention COVID-19 in New York State without thinking of Howard Zucker, the health commissioner. And we heard Senator Rob Orr earlier uh, this week talk about the need to get to uh, relieve him of his duties uh, because it really is kind of Cuomo's legacy hanging around with Kathy Hochul. Uh, What are your thoughts on health commissioner Zucker still on the administration? Uh, I think Governor Hochul should uh, remove him from his position as health commissioner as soon as possible. He uh, is someone who I think failed in many, many ways in his responsibility during the COVID-19 pandemic at the outset, at its highest peak, and even today. Uh, In government, we need to have the best and the brightest doing their job and doing it for the best interest of the residents of the state of New York. And I do not believe that Commissioner Zucker is that person. Let's start anew with a new set of eyes, a new set of perspective, and someone who can do the job better. He ought to be removed immediately. Speaking of uh, Howard Zucker, as I said, you can't think of COVID-19 in New York State without Howard Zucker. You can't think Howard Zucker and not think of Governor Andrew Cuomo. Um, What do you think of uh, the calls to give back the money from his book deal? I 100% agree with that. Uh, He profited to the tune of $5.1 million with his book deal, and his book deal was based on lies and misinformation and a cover-up with regards to our nursing homes and the tragedies that unfolded because of his failed policy. We absolutely should take that $5.1 million away from this governor. He had no uh, place to profit from it, and he actually was distracted away from his responsibility as governor to write a book during the pandemic, and not only a book, but a book that made him with an inordinate amount of profits. That's just wrong. It's a violation of our ethics. It's a violation of our state law. And this governor needs to be held accountable, not only for that incredible book deal, but also for the fact that we have 15,000 plus, much more now that the Governor Hochul came out with the true numbers of deaths in our nursing homes. There needs to be justice and there needs to be accountability to this governor. Even though he's no longer our governor, Hochul needs to be held responsible so we make sure this never happens again. You know, we heard uh, some confusing um, back and forth, and I know this is from the Assembly, uh, but maybe you can shed some light on this. We heard that they were suspending the investigation into the former governor, but then they were going to release um, the findings of that investigation. Is that where it still stands today? Yes, it does. And uh, it was the pressure of my colleagues and myself in the Senate and the Assembly are calling for the release of the report with regards to the impeachment investigation. We spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, on this investigation, and the findings need to be shared with the residents of New York State. Uh, We need to get to the bottom of this because there needs to be accountability, there needs to be justice, and there needs to be closure, none of which we have right now. And quite honestly, I believe that the uh, investigation should continue even since Governor Cuomo has left office. He still needs to be held accountable, Joe. And if he doesn't, and this deal that he cut with whomever he did in Albany needs to, quite honestly, uh, hold him very strictly accountable because right now uh, there's no closure. And that's just not right for the people of our great state.
Uh, in Albany, we saw earlier, I'm sorry, in Washington, D.C., earlier this week, we saw the Supreme Court um, strike down the Biden administration for a temporary federal uh, ban on evictions to extend that. Uh, but now we see that the urgency is in Albany to extend New York uh, New York's rental relief program. Uh, where does that stand? I know that uh, re- expires on the 31st of August. Is that going to get uh, extended? Is there going to be some kind of uh, wording in there so you know landlords can start to collect again? Where do we stand on the New York's rental relief program? Right. There, there's two issues there, Joe. Uh, on the rental relief program, we have $2.7 billion uh, that is set aside for landlords as well as for tenants. And only about 10% of that money has actually been allocated. That's shameful. And that's another example of a broken process in New York State. First and foremost, we need to have that rent relief money dispatched out to those who've been impacted during uh, the pandemic. I am 100% in favor of that. And I would continue to advocate not only for those who are tenants, but also those who are landlords, because they've been struggling, struggling like you can't even believe throughout this pandemic with no revenues. And that money needs to go to them as soon as possible. When it comes to the evictions moratorium, Uh, There is talk that we might actually be going back to Albany for a special session uh, to undertake this issue. Uh, I have some grave concerns about this, but I'm more than willing to sit down and uh, talk about this amongst my colleagues to see uh, what is in the best interest of the residents of the state of New York. We have had an extended uh, evictions moratorium for well over a year now. Uh, It's been protracted for a long time. New York State sometimes needs to move on and move forward. But I'm more than willing to go to Albany and discuss and debate and review any proposals with regards to this. But most importantly, that rent relief money needs to get out to the people and the landlords as soon as possible. You know, that eviction moratorium, uh, You know, we, we hear about it. I've done a few shows uh, over the last few months with landlords who are struggling. You, you talk about the people that, that do, need, do, need, do need the help. I'm sorry. Um, is there any kind of paperwork that's required for those to uh, qualify for eviction moratorium or, is it, or to not be evicted? Or is this simply, hey, if you don't pay your rent, they can't kick you out? Well, there is some paperwork, and one of the aspects is uh, what's called self-attestation, where individuals basically uh, explain uh, the hardship that they have uh, been under during COVID-19. And and, and believe me, I get it in the beginning with regards to that. But we need to take a hard look at this with regards to continuing this moratorium. And another thing is housing courts have been closed down for well over a year now. So even if there was an eviction Uh, process, the housing courts are, number one, incredibly backlogged, and number two, they're not even open. So there's no real process as yet. And New York State, uh, in many ways, has been getting the processes and the procedures all wrong, and we need to work on fixing that. This is another example of it, Joe, and I'm more than willing to go to Albany to try to fix this process as I started advocating on January 1st for the residents of my district to improve our state and make necessary reforms. State Senator Ed Rath, thank you for joining me this Sunday morning. Thank you very much, Joe. It's great to be here. That is State Senator Ed Rath giving us the uh, what's going on in Albany. It was it was another busy week in New York. I mean, this week seemed like it went by really slow. I don't know. Was it just me? I mean, this week we had Governor Kathy Hochul. Well, we started the week with Governor Cuomo, right? His final, his farewell address on Monday at noon, which was interesting in of itself. And then at 12.01 
on Tuesday morning, Governor Kathy Hochul got sworn in officially. Then you had the ceremonial swearing in. And then you had the uh, first speech as governor on Tuesday. That was Tuesday. It seems like it was three weeks ago. That was Tuesday. So a busy week in New York. And as you heard from Senator Rath, a lot going on, a lot to talk about. And possibly we are going to see a call for our elected leaders back to Albany to talk about some pressing issues. Uh, obviously, we will follow up on all of that with uh, with the state senator and other elected officials in Albany here on Hardline. Coming up next, we are talking to Terry Parsonen, though, as you heard me mention with the state senator. Uh, the mask mandate school-wide. I also have the question for her. This is something we've talked about on BMAS and Beamer. You know, I, I have a feeling, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I have a feeling that by December, you are going to have a percentage of school students that are learning remote again or some type of hybrid um, system. I hope that's not the case. I want to get her uh, take on that. It's hardline. Here on News Radio 930, WBEN. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T Mobile. You can count on T Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Hope everyone's enjoying their Sunday morning. Before we get to our next guest, as you've heard at the top and bottom of the hour, uh, there's a hurricane out there, and it is heading for the Louisiana area. It's in the Gulf Coast right now. The Gulf Coast, Gulf of Mexico right now. It's in the Gulf of Mexico right now, and it's a Category 4, 150 miles an hour storm, Ida. And uh, we will keep you updated throughout the day here on WBEN of that store's landfall and impact. So no, no need to go anywhere. We've got everything. We've got entertaining talk, informative programming, and news at the top and the bottom of the hour. There is no reason to go anywhere to touch that dial. Just hang out with WBEN all day. I know I do. Our next guest from Western New York Students First Taria Parsonen is joining us this morning. Taria, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Taria, I want to know your reaction. You know, this week we did get the uh, statewide mask mandate. Uh, It was kind of hinted at that was going to happen from uh, Governor Hochul. But in the same on the same week, we also saw an article in the New York magazine uh, that says, you know, the benefits of masks, um, the science isn't there to show that masks really are stopping the spread and that it actually may be more harmful to students. And that's why we have seen mask mandates lifted in other countries around the world. I'd like to know your thoughts on the uh, mask mandate here in New York State. Uh, Yes, that's exactly right. So when Governor Hochul came out with the mask mandate, this was not surprising. It was disappointing. And of course, it is controversial because of exactly what you were talking about. Um, You know, Parents who have been studying this for quite some time now, we have not seen the data that supports the efficacy of masks in 
schools. And you're right, we're watching what's going on in the rest of the world. Great Britain is allowing all school children to return to school without masks. I'd like to also talk about Denmark, which will drop all COVID restrictions in Denmark uh, early September. Their cases are not dropping, but the deaths remain low. So it's very interesting to see how other countries and even how other states are handling this, not necessarily looking at cases, but what's really going on and just really questioning the data that doesn't seem to be there regarding masks. Right. And, the, and what we do know, you know, the science is a big question mark um, because you've got a lot of studies that show the benefits not there. But we, that what we do know is that, you know, masks, especially at the elementary level, could be harmful to students, correct? That's exactly right. You know, they're recommending masks for ages two and up. This is so hard for our littlest ones to, to do, you know, and there are, you know, masks are not a zero harm mitigation and prolonged mask requirements impact language development, social emotional learning, bonding with others, literacy in young children. You know, in addition to negative health side effects, you know, my uh, youngest son last year had a really bad rash all around his mouth from um, from the mask, you know, and it is what it is. But at the same time, if the, if the science doesn't seem to be there, you do have to question what's going on. And, you know, another thing that we've noticed this year with uh, children that did at some point go back to school last year is not COVID cases up with uh, with students, but also we are noticing RSV cases, which are much more harmful um, to younger uh, to younger kids. Correct. That's right. And we are seeing a lot of those cases um, all around the country in hospitals. And I have to say that within our group right now, there are three distinct views and there are three very emotional views. You know, um, there is a section of parents that do not want masks at all. They see these negative consequences that we just spoke about. They have not seen data that supports the efficacy of masks in schools. But there is another subset of parents that does want a universal mask mandate because there is a real and deep fear there for their kids who cannot be vaccinated or they're immunocompromised. And then there is a third set of parents who does not want mask mandates long-term but are okay with masks as a tool to avoid unnecessary quarantines and to keep their kids in schools at times of high transmission and when kids can't be vaccinated. So we have these these three um, views within our group. We're a group that supports whatever parent choice feels right to you. We're not one to tell you that one is right over the other. Um, We're trying to be a group for everyone. And our priority, something where we are all aligned, we're all of us agree on is that schools have to be open five days a week this year. And I don't think that parents fully realize that this is not a given. You know, that third group that you mentioned, uh, and I want to get to that point as well, but the third group that you mentioned that say they're okay with mask mandates now, um, you know, while cases are up until children can be vaccinated, would that be the end point as soon as vaccines are available for children? Would that be where that third group would no longer be supporting a mask mandate? Absolutely. I think so. I think once the choice, and again, we are not for mandates, but once the choice to vaccinate everyone is there, then the choice to mask must also be there. You know, once the choice to vaccinate everyone is there, then I believe all COVID restrictions need to stop, just as in Denmark, just as in so many European countries. And we need to return to life. Now, the one thing, as you mentioned, most schools, all schools are starting with in, uh, in-person learning, but a, a concern of mine, and I, I think a concern of yours as well, is that by December, we might start seeing students on a hybrid level again. We might, start, we might even see some students going back to full remote learning. Uh, is this a concern of yours going down the road just a few months from now? 
This is my biggest concern. This is the group's biggest concern. The quarantine guidance from ACDOH is overly restrictive. And basically what they're saying is if two random unrelated cases of COVID occur in a class, then the entire class will be quarantined for two weeks. Okay. And what we have to remember is that COVID is not happening within the schools. There's no transmission within the schools. If there was transmission within a class, then we would need to reconsider quarantining the whole class. But if two random cases are coming to school and everyone is fully masked, we need to start doing what other states are doing. For instance, Erie County is more restrictive than the California Department of Health. And I need to let that sink in for everyone (laughs) that we're more restrictive than California right now. California is adopting a modified quarantine policy where um, if there are two or more cases in a class, if that class is fully masked, which all of our children are supposed to go back to school fully masked, as we all know, then they do not need to quarantine. No one needs to quarantine at home. They will simply test close contacts two times over the course of 10 days, and the school will provide the test for that. So that's what California is doing. And we're really asking um, our counties to um, take a look at adopting the modified quarantine policies. So uh, let me just get a clarification. So right now in Erie County, if there are two not connected cases, that entire class, not the school, but that entire class has to sit out for two weeks? That's exactly right. The class is home for 10 days. And remember, there's no remote school. So they're not going home and they're not able to join their class online. That is done. So they're going home with paperwork. And when kids are home for 10 days, they are home without really anything. And, you know, 10 days here, 10 days there. Who knows, as we enter the flu season and when there might be more random cases, um, are we just going to be back in remote learning? Or what's going to happen? We cannot let schools be interrupted for the third straight year in a row. Our kids have to be in school for 180 days this year. Yeah, you know, the last uh, two school years have been, um, there's been a lot of remote learning, a lot of hybrid learning. What are just some of the uh, the things that we are seeing after, you know, a year and a half of academic learning on computers from some local uh, students? We're seeing so many things. Obviously, the mental health, I think that's the priority from, I've been talking to superintendents and teachers, that's their number one concern, getting kids in the back in the classroom, socialization, assessing their mental health. Of course, there are also educational gaps. There's losses that are going on. I just read an article in The Atlantic saying, you know, on day one, on the first day of school, teachers will have to assess at what level everyone is at because they have no idea. Frequently, for many teachers, they haven't set eyes on these kids in so long. So, you know, again, there are eating disorders, there are um, lack of exercise, kids are unhealthy. I just saw a thing saying that um, the obesity rates of children in America have skyrocketed, you know, because our kids have had to stay home. Um, So they're suffering from a variety of physical and mental ways. You know, another thing for these kids is most of them for the summer have not had to worry about, you know, COVID mandates, mask mandates. They've been probably seeing their friends more than they did last summer. Uh, This is going to come as a shock when they walk into school uh, the Tuesday after Labor Day. It is going to be a shock, which is why we have to say that if masks are being enforced, there has to be a benefit to masking, which is no quarantines, which is essentially what we're asking for. And we have to have an off-ramp. We have to have a conversation about metrics. We need our leaders to be transparent about what metrics they will use to give us those off-ramps. We can't just see masking for the whole year. We can't just see masking for several years or whenever another variant comes. We have to have some open and honest conversations about how we're dealing with this. 
Taria, any other um, concerns going back into the school year you want to bring up before uh, we end today? No, I think we've hit it. I think our biggest concern, again, is the quarantine guidance. Kids have to be in school five days a week, and you know we're a group that respects all choice, and so we're here for all parents. Taria, as the, uh, as the uh, restrictions get modified, I'm sure we'll be talking again. Uh, thank you for joining me this Sunday morning. Thank you so much. That is Taria Parson from Western New York Students First. And a lot of stuff that I've talked about throughout the week, um, all the shows I've talked about here on WBEM, these mandates. And again, if there's that clear benefit, I don't think you're going to have people, you know, um, talking out against the mask mandate if there was that clear benefit. But as you heard Taria say, there isn't that benefit right now to masks, so much so that other countries... um, the UK, Denmark, they're getting rid of their mask mandates for students. They're letting kids go back to school 100% um, as close to as they can uh, from the 2019 school year. And I think that's what parents want to know. They, they know what the harms could be for masks. All they're asking is, show us the science where these masks are limiting the spread. Because if they're not limiting the spread, then let our kids go back to school somewhat normal. Obviously, have some distancing in place, have... But let our kids go back somewhat to normal if these masks, if the science isn't there to back up the masks. And again, I don't, I agree. I agree with that. You've heard me talk about it this week. And um, when the state or when the county uh, revises its restrictions, like I said, I'm sure we'll be talking to Taria again very soon. When we come back, we will get you updated on what's going on nationally here on Hardline on WBEN. Oh, and David will have a lot to say tomorrow morning starting at 10 here on WBEN. So you know what's going on in New York State, and we've covered that with Senator, uh, State Senator Ed Rath, with Taria Parsonen from Western New York Students First. We will be talking with Ralph Moore at 11.06 after the news about the decision uh, to not put Mayor Byron Brown on the ballot. We will have our interview with uh, Ralph Moore, and then we will play the mayor's reaction to that as well in the 11 o'clock hour. And then Nick Rathode, former Obama staffer, uh, will be joining me at 1135 here on Hardline. And part of that discussion will be around Afghanistan and what we have seen over the last few weeks. Two weeks ago here on Hardline, we spoke with uh, Congressman Brian Higgins uh, about what was going on in Afghanistan. Obviously, a changing situation. Like I said, we'll be talking with Nick Rathode about that. Uh, earlier this morning, Martha Raddatz talked with Secretary Antony Blinken about what's going on in Afghanistan, the threats that are still um, there at the Kabul airport. Let's play part of that interview from ABC's This Week. Like I said, we'll be talking more in depth about this with Nick Rathode at 11.35, and we'll be talking about Mayor Byron Brown's push to get on the ballot right after the news at 11.06. Here is Martha Raddatz with Secretary Anthony Blinken. Secretary Blinken, the president is saying that the threat of a further attack at the Kabul airport remains highly likely in the next 24 to 36 hours. What more can you tell us about that? And are you satisfied that our U.S. forces and others are now protected given Thursday's tragic bombing? Martha, let me address that in a second. But if I could, I just want to say one thing at the outset. You know, I think every American is feeling deeply uh, the loss of uh, our uh, men and women in uniform uh, in this terrible terrorist attack uh, at the uh, airport in Kabul. Uh, men and women who are working to bring uh, people to safety, 110,000 people 
uh, evacuated from, uh, from Kabul. But I have to tell you, uh, at the State Department, we feel this loss uh, in, a, in a particular way. Um, I think you know this. Uh, so many of those lost were Marines. If you go to any of our embassies around the world, the first person you're going to see is a U.S. Marine, standing sentry, guarding the embassy. Uh, we couldn't do our jobs as diplomats in any place around the world without the Marines. And, of course, we certainly could not have done the job that's been done in Kabul without these extraordinary men and women, uh, including the 13 who gave their lives uh, a couple of days ago. So uh, I just wanted to, to share with, with you and, and others how deeply uh, we feel this, especially uh, at the State Department. Uh, when it comes to the risk uh, going forward for the next couple of days, uh, the president's exactly right. This is very high risk. And as he said, there is a high likelihood uh, of additional attacks between now uh, and uh, the 31st. What I can tell you is this, uh, and we, we met again this morning with, uh, with the president and uh, our top commanders, both in the field uh, and, uh, of course, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the Secretary of Defense. Uh, and I know that they are taking every possible precaution to keep our men and women safe. But this is the most dangerous time in an already extraordinarily dangerous mission these last couple of days. And so we will do everything possible to keep, uh, to keep people safe, but the risk is very high. And you talk about the risk. There were urgent alerts from the State Department before Thursday's bombing telling people to immediately get away from the gates. Yet, as you know, we lost those 13 service members, more than 170 Afghans. I know force protection has since been increased, and, and that's a military decision. But as a member of the president's national security team, do you have any idea why that didn't happen sooner, given the urgent alerts? And you talk about embassies. Embassies have outer rims, and they're not guarded by the Taliban. That's what happened there. I'm going to let my, my colleagues at, uh, uh, in the Defense Department uh, you know, address this. I think you heard General McKenzie speak to this in some detail the other day. The hard reality of this mission is that uh, at, a, at a certain point, direct contact was necessary between uh, our people, our men and women in uniform, uh, and those coming into the airport. Uh, and that was part of the, uh, uh, of the mission. Uh, every effort is being made to make sure they're as, as safe as, uh, as possible. Uh, but of course, whenever you have something as, as, as horrific as this, any time, we have a loss of life, uh, we're going to go back and look very hard at, uh, at, what, at, at what was done uh, and whether anything could have been done better. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, from the get-go, this was an extraordinarily dangerous uh, mission. And uh, in these last few days, with uh, ISIS-K clearly and actively plotting against us, uh, the danger went up even higher. And the Pentagon launched a drone strike on what was described as an ISIS planner. That was late Friday. Were they involved in some way in Thursday's bombing, or, or were they suspected in planning these attacks that could come in the next day or so? The ISIS targets that were, were, were taken out involved uh, two individuals who were uh, significant planners and facilitators for, uh, for ISIS, uh, for ISIS-K. Uh, and I think we'll have uh, more details on exactly... Uh, what they did and what they were responsible for in the days ahead. 
And, and we know this is a dangerous period. The Pentagon does say that the withdrawal of U.S. troops from the Kabul airport has already begun. We know more than 100,000 people have already been evacuated, a historic number, which did take an incredible amount of work. But can you get all the American citizens who want to leave and our Afghan allies who are at risk out by the Tuesday deadline, especially given this threat? We're doing everything possible to, uh, to do just that. We have about 300 American citizens left uh, who have indicated to us that they want to leave. We are very actively working uh, to help them uh, get to the airport, uh, get on a plane, and get out of Afghanistan. The administration keeps saying the commitment to our Afghan allies doesn't end on the 31st, but your spokesman said the airport will not be open on September 1st, and the Taliban obviously can't secure its safety even when U.S. forces are present. So how do you realistically think any American citizens or Afghan partners who are left behind will be able to fly out? What would you say to them on how to get out? Martha, a few things. First, um, just uh, about 24 hours ago, a very senior Taliban uh, leader spoke on television and on the radio throughout Afghanistan and repeatedly assured the Afghan people that they would be free to travel after uh, August 31st. Uh, and he but, but Secretary Blinken, they do not trust. Uh, I, I mean, I know you say you don't trust the Taliban, but now you're telling me we should trust what the Taliban I'm said. Not, no, Those I'm people not, I'm in not, hiding. I'm not saying that, Martha. I'm not saying we should trust the Taliban on, uh, on anything. I'm simply reporting what one of their senior leaders said uh, to the Afghan people. He specifically cited as well. Uh, those who worked for Americans and uh, any other Afghan for whatever reason. So that's point one. All right, that is Martha Raddatz with Secretary Anthony Blinken talking about the ongoing situation in Afghanistan, which we will get you up to date here with ABC and then Alan Harris from the WBEN newsroom. And when we come back, we're speaking with Ralph Moore to discuss what happened Friday with Mayor Byron Brown's push to get on the ballot in the Buffalo mayoral race. And then we will play Mayor Byron Brown's reaction. It is 11 o'clock at WBEN Buffalo. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 